When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. So have the Florida Gators figured out how to fix their defense? Well, Todd Grantham is still there, so it'll be up to him. Why should you be bullish on FSU's future in football? And speaking of the Bulls, how much will they benefit from their indoor facility? We talk quarterbacks in the draft. Where might Kyle Trask go? Maybe he'll stay nearby. We've got all that and more to discuss with Matt Baker, our college football writer for the Tampa Bay Times, on this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times, along with producer Steve Versnick. Before we get to Matt, uh, just a little uh, housekeeping here. We uh, didn't have a chance to talk about this yesterday with Tom Jones, but, uh, of course, Tom Brady, TB12, was on – Yeah, that guy was on uh, James Corden on The Late Show. And this uh, this has gone like viral. The video. Um, I'm not sure he did. I don't know if he was on anybody's show right after the Super Bowl. But this was a uh, you know a pretty uh, publicized appearance, and he was great. By the way, he was completely relaxed. Actually, showed a lot of personality as he does on some of these things. And um, the most interesting thing for me, and I made it a headline because he said a lot of things during this interview, uh, was. You know, after the the Super Bowl victory, you know the confetti is falling, and um, he's looking for his family, and he sees his kids, his oldest son first, and he gives him a big hug, and here come the other two, um, and trailing behind them is Giselle, and and you know he's he's really happy. In fact, if you've seen the video, he says, "Are you happy? Daddy's happy." And then here comes Giselle, and they they have a moment where you can't you can't hear them because she's speaking basically in his ear uh, during their their embrace. And then he revealed uh, on the Late Show that what what she had said, and what she said to him was simply, "What more do you have to prove?" <laughs> and for those who have followed Giselle's sort of like <clears throat> reactions to his longevity of his career, and 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 sort of things she has said, and uh, after Super Bowl wins and losses, um, this one this one kind of hit home because you know. I mean, he's 43. He's going to be 44. And she's right. He doesn't have anything left to prove, really. Well, 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 because, well. you know, he... Wait a minute. I mean, I mean, from a historical standpoint... Nobody's won eight Super Bowls before. Well, nobody's won seven, so he's already got that record. Well, well but no one's won nine. Right? I mean, why not go for that one? He does have a few more fingers left on his right, on one of those hands, to, to put rings. But aside from that, he, he beat... He won a Super Bowl without Belichick. I think that's kind of her point. Look, she wants her husband home, okay? She, I mean, he's so consumed that we, we wrote the story over the weekend, you know, that uh, or, or, or last week that, you know, at 8 a.m. after the Super Bowl, hadn't been 12 hours, you know, just a few hours really since most of them had gotten home, um, he's already calling Clyde Christensen on FaceTime and talking about next year, talking about number eight. And he's eaten up with it. He's actually, he's consumed. And it's not just during the six months that he's practicing. It's all year for this guy. So you can understand where she's coming from with the 43 year old husband. And look, I don't know if you've noticed, but like, it's a pretty violent game. She's probably a little worried, 
you know, with all the news about CTE and things like that. I mean, I get it. I get why she would say this. But in this moment, and it was really funny because he was the typical husband, right? He goes, well, what, what did you say back to her? He goes, I just kind of tried to change the subject a little bit. <laughs> I wasn't going to discuss that. We're all like that with our wives sometimes. But uh, really interesting that that was her. Her first comment. See, to him. you're what, missing what all the headlines, though. Prove? See, no one's been to 15 Super Bowls. That's what he has to prove. Yeah, you think okay. it's great that at 8 a.m. he's worried about next year? What took him those eight hours? I mean, why wasn't that call at midnight? Let's go. Come on. I, I just think he was being kind. <laughs> he didn't probably didn't want to call Clyde. Could have called him at 4 a.m. because that's when Clyde got home. Yeah, they were still at the but, party. Um, Could have called him right then and let's discuss. I'll say this: he's not leaving until after next year, and here's why. They got a trip to where is it? Foxborough. They're going to go to Foxborough to play the New England Patriots and Bill Belichick, the hoodie. You think that game might get some ratings for somebody next year? Bucks at Patriots? What do you think? I think that's a Sunday night football game. Can you imagine, though? I mean, and what is the reaction going to be at Gillette? They're going to go crazy when he walks on that field. I mean, crazy good. I would hope. I can't imagine anybody, like even one person would boo the guy. I mean, they didn't want him. Remember that. So um, the hero, the prodigal son comes home. It's going to be – I'm already – I mean, I might as well start writing the stories, you know, now for that week. That's going to be incredible. Really, I can't – you know, and you hope that the stadiums are full, that we're past this pandemic. I can't imagine what the atmosphere will be when he runs out of that, that locker room and he does what he always does, which is run to the end zone and then give it the LFG, you know, and try to pump himself up. That's going, be awesome. It's going to be awesome. It's just a spectacle. It's going to be a spectacle. Chris, Chris Collinsworth sliding over to Al Michaels and – that's right. A, I think hopefully they'll be able to slide a, by next year. I mean, you know. Yeah, right. Do you believe in miracles? Yes. Um, so we got that. And speaking of miracles, the Tampa Bay Lightning have announced that they're going to have fans. That's right. You might be able to go see your Tampa Bay Lightning play at Emily Arena coming soon, March 13th. I guess a, a, a maximum of 3,800 fans. Yeah, that's their next home game. Uh, so they're on the, in the middle of the six-game road trip currently. So uh, next home game, maximum of 3,800 fans, of course, subject to change. That was kind of what they announced at the beginning of the season and then changed their mind about a week before the season began. So uh, I ex- expect the Raptors will have fans too. Uh, their next home game is March 11th, and then it's uh, the week after they have some home games. So – I don't know if it'll be March 11th or after that, but assume they'll have some fans as well coming back to Emily Arena. And the Rays are supposed to have fans. So glad that some sports are coming back and people are going to actually be able to see them. Of course, the Bucks uh, had a limited number of fans last year, about 16,000 or so. So we're hoping we're hoping we get past this. We're hearing that everybody might be uh, have enough vaccine by May to get everyone vaccinated. Go get your shots, people. Go get them. Let's go. Let's do it. Speaking and of finally, Rays. Yeah, speaking of Rays, finally, uh, it, we, we might have to give some oxygen to Neil Solance at this point. But uh, Wander Franco, Ooh. he went not just yard, he went rooftop. No, he went maybe over the rooftop at, at uh, Charlotte Park down there. They're not sure where he hit it. Dave Haller, the Rays VP of communications or whatever, uh, went up to the roof to find the ball, and it was not there. So they think it went over. He oh rushed that ball. I mean, they're estimating. I mean, if you put it all together, you come up with a number that starts with five. I mean, come on. Really? This dude hit one 500 feet? Uh, he crushed it. It, was, First it, pitch wasn't, too. it wasn't no doubter. No sooner had 
literally, I think Dwayne Stats was doing the TV game, and he goes, and the number one prospect in baseball. Oh, and he drushed that one. That one's way out of here. And like, he literally, just said the number one prospect in baseball, and there it went. You know, like uh, it was a it was a bomb. Listen, I'm going to say this about Wander Franco, and I know the Rays are going to get a lot of pressure, and I know they're not going to do a damn thing that they wouldn't do, and that they haven't planned to do already, which is to keep him in in the minors to start the season. I say to hell with that. <laughs> I know you got good players. I know you got Joey Wendell and you got you know you got plenty of guys that play the infield and 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 all of that, right? This kid is special. He's been special from you know many years ago. He's been special since you've had he hasn't played past what double A yet. But man, past single A. He hasn't played sing, in double well, A. Yet. Single A. That's right. Yeah, exactly. He was supposed but, to last year. He most likely would have started in double A. Possibly made the progression to triple A in, in the big leagues. It cost if them. they would There's have no played doubt. last season, and now we know Triple A has pushed their season back a, a month this year. Yeah, we're starting so at alternate sites again, which could impact Wander Franco. Maybe, maybe they do put him on the roster at that point. But. Well, my my thing is this, and the, what you don't want to do is you don't want to bring him up here and not play him. You want the guy to play, right? Yes. But you know, the question is going to be, you know, can he can he play and learn at the major league level, or uh, do we need to continue to build his confidence and his resume? And look. Let's not fool ourselves. There's a financial component to this, too. You want to control him for as many years as possible. If you think for the first 50 games or whatever it is, you'll be just fine with what you have, and why not? It's, it's roughly the same position players that you had a year ago in many aspects, uh, and that was good enough to win the American League. Then, then there's no need to rush him up. But I don't think this is a case of rushing a guy up. I think he's that talented. I think I think he's – and I, I'm not comparing the, the players themselves, but – you know, back in the day, once in a while, you know, Alex Rodriguez could play at night, 19 years old in the majors. So could Ken Griffey Jr. And you know what? Some greatness shows up early. I've always said that. I don't care what walk of life. If you're talking about musicians, if you're talking about actors, you're talking about whatever, you know, you, you find the, the really, the truly just great ones uh, do it at a much earlier age than than anybody else can imagine. So... I think it's gonna. He's gonna force his way um, to the big leagues sooner than later. Um, it's gonna be hard to keep him to keep him down. He's just that talented. He's just that good. I I, I agree. He's gonna force his way up there, and probably later this season. Uh, I, I I think there's some questions defensively about him. That's one thing. Like Griffey was phenomenal defensively. That's true. Um, and and you know, look, Griffey and A Rod, they were they went to a bad Seattle team. They did. You know, you're not going to a team that's got players that can play. And, you know, a team that went to the World Series last year. That's you true. Know, you're not that's replacing scrubs at this point, too. That's so a good point. Th- yeah. There's a, a few differences there. And, 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 you know, the good thing is, is he's been open to playing second base and moving around to get to the majors quicker on def- defense. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. there's no question Adamas is a better defensive shortstop than, than Franco. Um, right. and, you know, I mean, he's not bad defensively, but he's not a, he's not great defensively. And that's part of his game he needs to work on. But... If he continues with what he's done on offense and, you know, he really hasn't played. He played a little bit while he went down to the Dominican League for a few games till he got hurt. But, you know, really hasn't played in a year and a half as far as competitive yeah. baseball and that. So, you know, you still want to get him, you know, I, I think he'll start in double A this year. But I think, you know, if he if he does what we think he can do, he'll move to triple A quickly and then he'll force his way up. And, and, you know, injuries and whatever happens at the big league level will affect that too. Right. Right. Well, I hope we see him before September anyway. And, and uh, like you said, a lot of that will depend on where the Rays are, if they need him, if they have a place for him, if somebody gets hurt, 
Um, but what a talent and what a guy to have in your organization and what a future that he seems to have right now. It's just amazing to watch. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. All right, Matt Baker joins us now. And Matt, you know, last year's Florida season will be dissected in, in, until until this year, obviously, and, and maybe beyond, <laughs> but... Uh, they certainly had a great football team in many aspects, but the one aspect that was never great was their defense. And I think it let them down numerous times in some big games to say the very least. So, you know, the surprising thing to me a little bit is that Todd Grantham's still there. Um, But the fact that he is, he's got to be the guy that's responsible for fixing it. So we're in the Tampa Bay times and on Tampa Bay.com about what their analysis was and, and, you know, the reasons for those problems and and how they're going to correct it. What did he have to say? Yeah, there, there was a lot of, (laughs) a lot of issues. I mean, let's, let's be honest here that it cost them the LSU game. Uh, It cost them the Alabama game. Uh, It was bad against uh, uh, Oklahoma. Um, It wasn't good against Ole Miss to a large degree, or maybe the entire degree cost them against A&M and on and on I didn't. Re- I knew it was bad. I didn't realize how historically bad it was until I kind of got on the hazmat suit the other day and started looking at it. I'm just going to read these numbers really fast. <laughs> Gave up 30.8 points per game. That was the program's worst since 1917. Run defense allowed 4.6 yards per carry. That was the worst at Florida since 1971. Uh, Dan Mullen was negative one years old at that point. Um the secondary or the defense as a whole gave up 28 passing touchdowns. The most they had given up in a year since World War II was 19. And also their their third down defense was the worst since at least 2009, and they were 98th nationally on fourth down. I mean, they, they were okay with sacks, but they just they just weren't very good. Um, so I, I, we just kind of have to restate that just to, to get to refresh people's memory, unfortunately for Gators fans. Well, now, uh, you know, moving... I'm old enough, <laughs> I'm old enough to remember the 1971 defense. I, I have to say, and boy, if they're worse than them, let me tell you, um, <laughs> that, that is unbelievable though. You're talking about world war two here. I mean, you know, yeah. that, that really is saying something. It, it, it was not good. And some of it, you know, was offenses are a lot better and you no, know, uh, sure. They played Ole Miss, which had a really good offense, and a And M showed like you know on and on. But still, it, it was bad. Um, so why might things be different? First of all, I was also a little surprised that they kept Todd Grantham. But look, he's a respected mm-hmm. guy in the industry. Fans have not been thrilled with him. For, I mean, really, for a lot of his career, going back to when he was at Georgia, at least. But he's had a lot of success at places that he's been. Um, and you know, Florida had a good defense the previous couple years, and this year they took a, a big step back. And obviously it cost them. So they did make some changes. You know, they, they got rid of both coaches in the secondary and brought in two new ones. Um, Wesley McGriff's a guy that Mullins you know, said he's wanted, you know, he, he's had on his radar for quite some time, a veteran SEC guy. I think he was an assistant with the Saints. And um, Jules from from USF was the cornerback's the coach and recruiting coordinator. He's, he's a promising kind of rising star in the profession, potentially. So that's one reason. Um, another reason that they're optimistic 
a lot of the stuff they kept screwing up last year was really fixable. Like they just didn't get lined up correctly quickly enough. And I think during the course of a season, especially one as crazy as this past one was, that type of thing might be harder to fix when you don't know who's going to play on Saturday and where they're going to play and all that stuff. But now that you have a spring to kind of fix those, those stupid stuff, th- that's an, an, a thing that can happen. And then they, they've got some some key new guys coming in. The, the secondary obviously was not good. Um, but the Gators are really high on Jason Marshall as a five-star early enrollee from Palmetto. Their, their D-line, particularly the interior, wasn't good enough. It just wasn't. Um, so then they bring in two uh, pretty strong transfers, Daquan Newkirk and Antonio Shelton from Auburn and Penn State. Uh, veteran guys that add some beef to that unit and, and can allow maybe a Zach Carter who played more inside to play more on the outside, that type of thing. So again, I, I don't know what type of leap forward yet is going to be a realistic step for the Gators, but they do think that things are going to get better on that side of the ball uh, very soon. Yeah. Well, they, they certainly couldn't get a whole lot worse. Let's, let's say that off the, off the top. And, and, you know, and quite frankly, I mean, and this sounds odd, I know, but like sometimes when you're going up and down the field as a great offense, which they did, you're exposing those guys a little bit too. You know, when you score quickly, um, they're playing a lot of snaps and um, they're back on the field. So it, it, it can turn into a track meet, which is what it did a little bit uh, last season against those teams that you mentioned. Um, at Florida and any school, the, the talk is always going to be about the quarterback situation. We'll get into Kyle Trask a little bit in his future here in just a second. But um, look, they, they, they got some talent there, right? So Dan Mullen has had a lot of success with his quarterbacks over the years. Where does that competition fall? How do, how do you see that working out in the spring? Yeah, M- Mullen's a guy, he, he wants competition at every position, every coach does. He's not going to name a starter until he really feels like it needs to. Or even, I mean, look, th- this time a year ago, pre-pandemic, Kyle Trask technically wasn't the starter, right? It was, it was a, up in the air, it was Embry Jones going to beat him, but everybody knew it was Kyle Trask. And, and this year, it's kind of the same thing. Um, Mullen and the Gators aren't going to say this directly, but I would be stunned if Emory Jones isn't the starter week one against, against Willie Taggart and, and, and Florida Atlantic. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's, frankly, it's his time. You know, um, he was the handpicked guy that Mullen wanted. You know, go back to the, uh, Mullen's first, uh, recruiting class in December 2017. The Gators had a commit from, uh, uh, named Matt Corral, who was a, a blue chip guy, highly respected, or highly thought of, um, among recruit guys um but uh the gators didn't love him um he ended up flipping signed it with old miss he's one of the better quarterback uh, younger quarterbacks in the sec mullen targeted emory jones uh mullen gave emory jones his first offer when you know after his freshman year uh, in high school and mullen was at mississippi state then was able to get him to flip from urban meyer and the buckeyes to to the gators in signing day uh, of 2017 and the, the december period and now he's waited his turn. He's learned from from Felipe. He's learned from from Kyle Trask, and 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 frankly, it's his time to, to see what he can do. He's he's very different than Kyle and, and Felipe. You know, he's he has a good arm, certainly a strong arm, but he's a much more mobile guy. He's uh, right. more. I'd say he's more Nick Fitzgerald than Dak Prescott, if that makes sense. He, he's not a he's not yeah. a big Hulk who's going to uh, kind of bulldoze his way to yards, but he's quick and shifty and. And that sort of thing. And, uh, you know, the Gators have been quite high on him, obviously, for a while. And, and look, Florida's going to sink or swim with him. This is the guy Mullen wanted from literally the month after he got there. And now that it, it's, you know, the, the guys, the incumbents are gone, it's Emory's time to sink or swim and uh, for Mullen's offense to sink or swim with him. 
Yeah, and I mean, look, he's a, he's a tremendous athlete. He made a lot of plays with his feet. He still will. Um, I think your comparisons are good. The, the, and, and, you know, when you don't get a lot of reps in practice or you're not playing in games, it's hard to judge guys. I, I think the passing part, Matt, you mentioned his arm. It's just the accuracy. Is he going to be able to get the ball out on time and be accurate with it? I, I think you're exactly right. Um, I, I go back, and I'm going to write this at, at some point, so I'll, I'll, I'll spoiler it um, here. His first, really his first significant action was in 2018 as a true freshman against Georgia. You know, the, obviously the Gators had the bye week, and so did Georgia leading up to it. And there was a lot of talk out of, out of Athens that, Georgia was going to open it up more with some Justin Fields guy who, who apparently ended up being a quarterback of, of some renown. Um, <laughs> they thought, you know, maybe uh, Jake Fromm will be out, uh, Justin Fields will be in, or they'll do more gadget stuff with, with Fields to get him the ball because he's so dynamic. And they didn't. And on the other side, Florida was the one that used this uh, promising uh, blue chip freshman quarterback, and Emory played a little bit. And he, he has his first throw, it was a bomb down the right side to Van Jefferson, if I'm not mistaken. And it was a great throw. It was also an incomplete pass. Mm. And afterward, I think, it was, I think it was Van, one of the Gators receivers said, that's the type of throw that can win national championships. Wow. It was the greatest incompletion in the history of incomplete passes. <laughs> if, if you go to Mount Olympus, that is the type of, of incomplete passes that the gods up there are talking about. Um, I'm, I'm being what, did, he drop, did he drop it? I mean, what did he drop the ball uh, or what? It was either broken up. There might have been a, I think there might have been a pass interference, but it, again, okay. it, it was a very nice throw. Gotcha. So there, the, I say all that. The buzz has been building around him for a really long time, even when yeah. it's an incomplete pass. And um, so his arm strength is there. Mullen said it the other day. He's, he's got a cannon. But yes, I don't know about the accuracy and I don't know about the decision making yet. Let, let's be clear. I'm not saying he can't do those things. I'm saying I don't have enough of a sample size to get a gauge on what he can and cannot do there, but uh, we'll we'll find out soon. Yeah, it's always different when you when you enter um, spring football or the next year as 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 the guy as the guy to beat, and and it's his job to lose. It it seems like so. Um, you know, not far away. We've been waiting for this, but Florida State has gone through some lean times. The pandemic didn't help them. Obviously, Mike Norvell coming in when he did. Um, has been difficult, but they've had some success in the transfer portal. And you wrote um, that FSU's future hasn't looked this bright in years. Tell me why. Yeah, I'm let's, let's, let's pause here for just a second. I'm not saying they're going to win the ACC this year. I'm not Ah. saying they're going to beat Clemson. I'm not going to say that they're, they're going to beat the Gators this year. They might not do that next year either. But if I'm looking at Florida state as a long-term option right now, I think the future is bright, and it hasn't looked this bright since the opening kickoff of the Willie Taggart era just before everything fell apart, when they they had all that buzz (laughs) from a nice recruiting class, and maybe Willie can do it, and then he didn't, and they've had four bad years, um, going back to the end of Jimbo. So here's why I'm optimistic. Um, Florida State had a lot of issues last year. They they weren't very good. They weren't very good because they hadn't recruited very well for the last couple years. Their last four recruiting classes... 11th, 18th, 22nd, 23rd. That's not good enough at Florida State. Um, So there's not enough young talent. But what they did is they brought in a bunch of guys through the transfer portal, including Mackenzie Milton. Um, If he is healthy, which is a big if, and if he can look the way he did in 17 and 18 at UCF, he's going to be one of the better quarterbacks in the ACC, if not the country. Then you add in some of the other guys they brought around, and Brandon Moore, another uh, DB from UCF, and, and, and 
uh, Jermaine Johnson, a, a Georgia defensive end. If they can add some, if those pieces work out, then we're talking about Florida State making a pretty big jump this year. I also mm. think that this was the right approach for Florida State just because the recruiting's calendar was so messed up with no on-campus visits and you couldn't do the in-person evaluations. Go with the proven commodities or more proven commodities for the transfer portal instead of taking a chance on high school guys that, that have, have a higher likelihood of missing here. So if they can improve on the field, and I think that you know if these things work out, they're going to be better, maybe a lot better. Then you add in what they're doing on the recruiting trail right now. They've got a pair of five-star commits, including one who, who uh, um, a month and a half ago had, was committed to, to the Gators, or two months ago was committed to the Gators. If they land those, look, Florida State hasn't signed a five-star recruit since 2017. Now they've got two committed in this class. If they can prove on the field, if they keep working the way they're doing right now with their recruiting trail, things kind of pick up and you can see Florida State making some strides. So that's the case I'd make. It's definitely not a certainty. I mean, talking about a recruiting class in March is is kind of silly because who the heck knows what's going to happen. But for the first time in a while, Rick, I can see a path toward maybe not national prominence yet, but at least national relevance at FSU. And that hasn't happened since, again, I, I would argue the opening kickoff of the Willie Taggart era, but just before things fell apart. Uh, it's so desperately needed because, I mean, the state of Florida in general, of course, used to dominate college football for years and years, but Florida State in particular, um, that that brand has suffered and, and suffered greatly. And I, I like that, you know, the whole transfer portal thing, I was a little leery of, Although I, I like the fact that if coaches can move, then players should be allowed to move. But it has almost become a little bit of free agency in college football, if you will. And I think for programs like Florida State, you can get healthy pretty quick rather than having to totally rely on developing players, you know, over the course of three or four years. And, and look at what Miami has done. You know, right. Miami was really active in the transfer portal and Manny Diaz's first class. And it was a similar deal because they had to be just because he got hired after the, the the early signing period, so he he was it was in it was in shambles. They they weren't going to get a bunch of great guys, uh, great high school recruits. So they needed some help immediately, and that was the way to do it. So who'd they get? <clears throat> um, obviously, you, you look at Jalen Phillips, who was a top recruit in the country a couple years ago from UCLA. All, all he did this past year was be one of the top defensive linemen in the ACC and work himself into being a first round pick. Obviously, you look at last year with, with Derek King, who, you know, hopefully he's healthy this year because college football is better with a healthy Derek King. Um, and he transformed that offense from awful to pretty darn good immediately. And, and you can go on and on down the list at, at Miami. Um, so it's it's it, it's it's been a way for, for schools to fix problems immediately. Look, I think college football is better with it. Um, it, it was college football better with Justin Fields sitting on the bench at Georgia? Or with Justin Fields uh, starring at Ohio State? Was college football better with Joe Burrow sitting on the bench at Ohio State or winning a national championship at LSU? Absolutely. Right. And you can go on and on down that list as well. So it's been a weird thing, but it's it also has, has worked out nicely for a lot of schools. And the ones that use it correctly and use it well can fix their problems. The ones that don't can get into a lot of trouble. Yeah, well, I like it. And I like I'm um I like the idea of Florida State uh, coming back into relevance. I think that would be great for college football, great for the state of Florida. One other team here in the state of Florida, even closer to home, is USF. 
And a big announcement uh, over the last uh, week or so, and that is that it looks like they're going to develop uh, finally a uh, an indoor practice facility. Matt, you go around to these colleges all the time. You know what recruiting has has been. You know what the weather does uh, in the state of Florida. How big is this if if and when USF is able to complete this project? It's massive. Look, I, I, I'm not a huge fan of the recruiting – or not recruiting, excuse me, the uh, facilities arms race. I think, by and large, it is stupid. Um, this, you know, I don't think Florida needs it. I think it's going to be $85 million standalone football complex that they're, they're literally laying the foundation on right now. Um, I don't mm. think uh, Oregon needs all its stuff in the waterfalls and the barber shops and the putt-putt courts. I don't, I don't think those things are, are necessary. It's a, an issue where schools have money to spend because they don't have to pay the players, and it needs mm. to go somewhere. So it goes to facilities. But there are some things that are functional and necessary. And USF needed to do, as Willie Taggart would say, they needed to do something. Their facilities are, are out of date. Uh, it, they're, they're not up to the, if you consider that, do the Power 6 thing, they're not up to Power 6 standard. Um, at some point, we, we might be talking about conference expansion and realignment in the coming years. USF facilities right now are not going to help. It's going to be a major argument against it. So they needed to do something. Um, the, the locker room renovations and all that stuff. That's nice. I think that that's shiny. Hey, put a, spend a couple million, put a nice coat of paint on things. That's fine. But the indoor facility at USF is crucial. Um, mm. it was dumb when the bucks didn't have one. Remember when, when Lovey Smith, uh, w- surprised by, by, by the rain, cause apparently it rains in Florida. So you need to like adjust <laughs> right. your schedules accordingly. <laughs> Who knew? Yes. Um, Yep. There's a there's a reason that UCF has one and Florida has one and Miami has one and Florida State has one. You, that, that's a necessity. That's a practical necessity in this state, and it's it's long overdue. And uh, give give uh, the Bulls credit. You know what? This wasn't the plan that they wanted to do. They wanted to roll everything out in one big shiny thing, but they needed to make some progress and they needed to show some results to recruits and fans and players. And uh, getting that done, uh, breaking ground on it here uh, this summer with the goal of moving in next year. That is some tangible progress, and, and it was much needed. Yeah, and I can't – I mean, look, it's so disruptive. I can't imagine. It's bad enough when your profession, you're getting paid to be there, and if you had delays, all right, you're a professional athlete, deal with it. For these college kids that have school and have actual you know, homework and assignments and tests to study for, um, you know, being strung out throughout the day and not knowing exactly when you're going to go in or out or going back and forth is really difficult. So I'm glad they're going to get that taken care of. You uh, had a chance to be on a call with the great Mel Kuyper. Todd, 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 and all that uh, nonsense that he's got going on there. Um, listen, Mel knows the draft as well as anybody. It's his living. He's made it a cottage industry. Uh, but the talk is always going to be about quarterbacks uh, in this draft. And I think, yep. I believe it, it starts with Trevor Lawrence, although that's not a, a an absolute. There are people that think that Zach Wilson, um, you know, from BYU might actually be the better quarterback or the best quarterback in this draft. I find that hard to believe. Um, uh-huh. You know, the, you know, the <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. You know, the guy up there in Jacksonville, you know, Urban Meyer. Um, and we can get into what uh, what his his uh, future is maybe uh, in the NFL. But but how do you, you know, you covered all these guys, right? You've seen all these guys up close. How do you see this quarterback's class both just as a group and, 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 and where, where do you kind of rank these guys in terms of their, of their future in the NFL? Let's not get cute here, right? Like, don't, don't overthink it. Don't the, overthink the draft, this, right. 
yeah, the, yeah. the draft is such a, is a thing where there's months to break down everything and oh well, don't you remember Trevor Lawrence against NC State had three incompletions in a row or whatever? No, don't be stupid. <laughs> don't overlook it. Trevor Lawrence is a look. He's a generational quarterback talent. He is at least the best prospect since Andrew Luck. Maybe go back mm-hmm. to Peyton or Elway or somebody like that. He's got a cannon. Right. He can move. I mean, I, I remember um, first game of his sophomore year, they kicked off on a Thursday or Friday night. Oh, I think they opened the ACC network um, against Georgia Tech. And one of the first plays, he tucks it on his own read and, and runs to the left. I'm like, oh, oh, boy. Uh, you knew he could throw. And now they're showing more that he can run. Uh-oh. Everybody else is in trouble now. If you add that element. So, I look, Trevor Lawrence is, is clearly the guy. I like Zach Wilson a lot. Um, not as much as, as, as Trevor. I think Trevor is as close to can't miss as, as it's going to be. But Zach Wilson has that Baker Mayfield, Johnny Manziel to him. He, he, he's very, he can improv very well. He's got a really strong arm. Um, there's... I guess the questions on, on what it, can he do it consistently and can his body take the pounding and all that stuff. But he's a guy I really like. Justin Fields is, is one is you know the other one that I think very very highly of, just because of you go my, look recruiting rankings are not perfect, but they're pretty darn good. And the top two quarterback prospects of the modern recruiting era and two of the top players of the modern recruiting era were, were Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields. Um, He's he, look. He's just really good. He's he can run. He's smooth. He can throw. I I think he's a very very talented player. I'm less sold on like a Trey Lance just because he hasn't done it consistently at at the highest level. Mac Jones, I don't think as a top ten pick. I mean, he, look, he was really really good. I had him on my Heisman ballot. Had I think he had the highest uh, passing efficiency in the history of college football. But he also doesn't have the track record and and all the times as a starter. To, to give me a lot of confidence if I'm going to spend like a top eight pick or something on him. And, you know, those th- those are the top ones. And then there's a drop off to the next tier where, where Kyle Trask is clearly in that one. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I mean, with, with Fields, like I, I've watched him, but against some of the better defensive teams in college, I remember the Northwestern game in particular. And maybe, look, the, the guy's tough as nails. We saw him get hurt and continue playing, you know, uh, well beyond maybe he should have. Um, he he's had some up and down performances, which I guess it's a team game, right? You don't you don't really know what the game plans are, who's hurt, who's not. But um, there was a little inconsistency, I think, against some of the better teams with Fields, which might scare some people from a throwing standpoint. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. You know, he he was not great against Northwestern, but I think he had a, a thumb issue uh, in yes, that one as the, well. I that you're right. You mm-hmm. kind of have to take that into consideration. Absolutely. Ohio State was really good, but it's not like they had a ton of, of receivers. They had two who were good. Um, right, so that kind right. of limits the options as well. When you compare it to the weapons that Mac Jones had at, at Bama. And honestly, I think that's something that makes Trevor Lawrence's career even more remarkable or his season, even more remarkable. Like Clemson's receivers that they didn't have the, um, Dion Canes and Artavius Scott's and Mike Williams and Sammy Watkins. They, this was not a great loaded Clemson receiving core. It took a step back this year. So for Trevor to do what he did, um, with not superstar receivers showed a lot. Um, yeah, just again, Justin Fields, there are some some risks to him because it wasn't consistent, but goodness, the talent's there. And if you can smooth that out, you, you got a, a long-term player. Yeah, it's really uh, 
he's got some pedigree to say the least. And I, and I like, you know, the thing about Jones and Trask to some extent, you know, more pocket passers for sure. Um, and, but with great players around them, we saw what they can do. Matt, you know this. I mean, so much of that position is the quick twitch decision making. You know, if you're all these guys can throw the football, okay? You don't get to this level. You don't get to the NFL. Yes, some not, there are some Trevor Lawrence's out there, but not many. Um, but their decision making, I think, for both those guys might carry them, you know, pretty far in the NFL if they if they get with the right programs and the right teams and the right players around them. Yeah, I, I think you're exactly right. Um, I, I think. I'm really curious to see what happens with Kyle Trask in this draft because you can make an mm-hmm. argument, a really strong argument for and against him. Um, he does, he makes the right decisions. Um, but uh, the, the word limited is, is how uh, Mel Kuyper describes sure. Trask. And sure. I, I think that's right. He doesn't right, have the fair. strongest arm out there. He's probably not in the top five. Um, he's not the most mobile guy. He, he can move okay in the, in the pocket. He's not a complete statue, but he's not going right. to, you know, scramble out and break a 30 yard run like Lawrence or, or fields or Wilson could. Yeah. Um, I, I question and Mel Kuyper mentioned this as well. If you look at, look at, at, at Trask supporting cast at, or that he had at Florida, he had four NFL receivers or four players from uh, the 19 team make NFL rosters, four receivers, plus a running back who caught a lot of balls this year. You know. Trayvon Grimes is going to get drafted probably. Kadarius Tony and Kyle Pitts are, are going to be, you know, first round picks. Uh, uh, Pitts is top five, maybe number two, number three. So, how much was him, and how much was the supporting cast? I still think that's a fair question. Right. Um, but Trask's numbers were great. He w- he was accurate. I'm just not sure if he can do it consistently at the high level. I'm just I'm not sold yet. Um, I, I think with the best case scenario for him. You know, Mel doesn't see him as a first rounder. I'm not sure I do either, except maybe at the very end. Do, do you know anyone who um, who has the last pick of the first round, like in that range? Can you, uh, can you that would be the Super Bowl champions, I think, who won last year. Oh, yeah, the Bucks. That's right. Oh, and um, the Bucks. I, I'm trying to remember their quarterback situation. Uh, they have um, uh, uh, Brady, who is uh, uh, long in the tooth. Um, do they have any young quarterbacks that kind of they're, they're grooming that – could, uh, you know, um, could could be there later? No. In fact, they have the oldest quarterback group in the NFL. I think they're all 31 or older. And, of course, Tom raises the bar at 43, soon to be 44. So, yeah, I think it'd be a good time in the next year or two maybe to find a younger kid somewhere to develop. But you know, uh-huh. So a younger we, kid who's not going to be ready to play immediately, but uh, right. maybe somebody who's been a backup before and wouldn't mind being a backup again learning from, from the best to, to get in position to maybe have a chance to play in, in uh, a year or two after this, this older fellow uh, ends his, his legendary career. Is, is, that, is that what I'm, is, I'm hearing you say? I, I see the angle you're working here. We'll have to dive into that a little, a little further, Matt. We'll do that. We'll do that for sure. <laughs> <laughs> that, think... that's, that's what we call a tease. Uh, yeah. th- this is something we will discuss more in depth. At Absolutely. Time. You know, before we go, I wanted to ask you, uh, you know, this is, uh, it seems like every year the receiving class gets deeper and deeper, right? I mean, there's so many talented receivers. I mean, college football, like high school football has become, um, you know, a seven on seven league in some respects. Um, are you surprised that Tony is getting as much run as he has in terms of, I mean, he's, He's really being talked about very well among among scouts and draft draft nicks and whatnot. I, I'm a little bit 
only because I know what he did his first couple of years there. Um, Mullen would always say up until th- this past season, uh, you need to get the ball in Tony's hands. Something electric is going to happen. It's going to be entertaining. It's either going to be really good or it's going to be really bad, but it's going to be fun to watch. And I think that was accurate. Um, you know, they could do a jet sweep and he could uh, bust it one for, for 50 yards or something. He had the big one against uh, Miami in 19, um, the opener. Or he could try and dance around and lose 12 or fumble or something like that. So what's what was remarkable to me this year is how he became much more polished. He went from being an electric athlete who, again, complete hit or miss, to yeah. a really good receiver who's mm-hmm. also a really good athlete. And yeah. um, I did not necessarily see that transformation come. Um, just because, I mean, you, you never know how guys are going to develop. And obviously this was such a weird offseason, all that stuff. But give him a ton of credit because he was, they didn't have to force the ball to him. They didn't have to do the get it to plays where we got to get it to this guy however many times. He would get the ball yeah. in the natural flow of the offense. And that was remarkable. Mm-hmm. Um, give Mullen and the staff credit, by the way, for, for how they found the ways to get him, you know, moving him in motion and jet motion back the other way and all that stuff. Yeah. So, look, he's an electric athlete. He, he is one of the most exciting players the Gators have had since Percy Harvin. He's not Percy. You know, Percy's arguably the best player in school history, but he's in that next tier. And I think he's going to do really, really well at the next level. I don't know that he's a pure number one receiver, but I think in this, the, the way the NFL is with matchups, he's a Tyreek Hill kind of guy that they can do a bunch of different things with him. Uh, put him in a slide, get him at running back, do the jet sweep, do a wildcat package with him, all that type of stuff. He's going to be, I think he has a chance, uh, if he stays healthy and if he keeps developing, he's, I think he's going to be a really good player at the next level. Yeah, he really is. He really is that joker player that you can put anywhere and hand him the ball and and use his speed and his playmaking ability um, and became a better route runner, I think, uh, during during the season as well. So um, it'll be interesting. I, I'm looking forward to the draft. We're looking forward to talking more about the quarterbacks, maybe one in particular uh, with a certain team nearby. And so look for that. Uh, Matt and I might be discussing some of that coming down, coming down the pike. One quick shout out to add. Um, I'm sure everyone is following FCS uh, Division 1AA. Um, because they're playing in the spring. Remember, there, there was a time, Rick, where uh, we didn't know if there was going to be fall football. So some That's teams right. and some leagues and decided to, to play in the spring. Uh, mm-hmm. So Stetson opens this season on March 13th. I'm uh, going to be talking with their coach uh, here pretty soon to figure out what spring football, like competitive actual spring football, is going to look and feel like at the college level. So that's something to check out here in the next uh, in the next week or so. The Stetson Hatters, I believe, right? Is that the Hatters, that's correct. Outstanding. Out in Deland, Florida. Been there. Played some baseball there before. He's Matt Baker. You can check him out on TampaBay.com and the Tampa Bay Times. For all things college football, college sports, you name it, does a little uh, motor racing here now and then again, too, as well. So thanks, Matt. We appreciate it. You got it. Thanks, Rick. My thanks to Matt Baker. Uh, we've got the Lightning. You know, they're in Chicago, the Windy City, for two more games. I kinda, I'm kind of digging these series a little bit, man. I... I you know, there's a little give and take each night, and and, and you know, you got it's. It feels like the playoffs a little bit. These teams, you know, get th- a feel for each other. And they I gotta, thought the four in a row against Carolina was a little much, but two or three is okay. Yeah, two or three is what yeah. I like. Yeah, I don't want. I don't I think four is too much, but yeah, two or three games is pretty cool. And there's a swing of points there. 
So they're in Chicago. And then, of course, Ray's spring training continues. So, hey, we're here every Monday through Friday. Thanks so much for listening. We appreciate it. For Steve Versnick, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great weekend, everybody. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.